we want and all we need is found in Jesus By our heart's desire, all we want is more of you. For the Lord is good, and His love endures. Yes, the Lord is good forever. From the mountain tops, yes, the Lord is good forever. Yes, the Lord is good, and His love endures. Yes, the Lord endures forever. And I'll shout it out from the mountain tops. Yes, the Lord is good forever. Yes, the Lord is good forever, and I'll shout it out from the mountain tops. Yes, the Lord is good forever, for the Lord is good and His His love endures. Yes, the Lord is good forever. Shout it out from the mountain tops. Oh, the Lord is good forever. We want you more and more. We want you more and more. We want you more. More, more and more. 
Always you've been good to you. Yes, Lord. Yes, the Lord is good and his love endures. Yes, the Lord is good forever. So I'll shout it out from the mountain tops. Yes, the Lord is good forever. good to you tonight hallelujah like i said tonight is a night that we're going to go through our stories what god has done for us tonight brother tim myself brother jason and brother white will come and speak to us about what god has done what we've seen god do and tonight i hope you're blessed tonight i know you'll be blessed to know that victory is in jesus amen Amen. At this time, Brother Tim is going to come. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. How many of you know that we serve a miracle-working God? Yes, we do. As far as I'm concerned, y'all can be seated. You don't have to stay standing for me. Sometimes I don't like it when the preacher keeps people standing forever. They probably don't mean to do that. They get so caught up with preaching. I don't want to do that. But we serve a miracle working God and God has done so many great things in my life. You know the definition of a miracle in the Webster's Dictionary is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs such as the healing dis- miracles described in the Gospels. And I know all of us have witnessed a healing in one way or another in our life many times over. And Another definition of it in Webster's is it's an extremely outstanding or unusual event, thing, or accomplishment. As an example, something like any bridge, maybe take the the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, that's a a miracle of engineering that such a thing can stand like it has for so many years. But 
A true miracle is an event in the external world brought about by the immediate agency or the simple volition of God. And it's operating without the use of means capable of being discerned by the senses and designed to authenticate the divine commission of a religious teacher and the truth of his message. That's more of the biblical definition when you read the, the Gospels of, uh, in the Bible. And it's an occurrence at once above nature and above man. And it shows the intervention of a power that is not limited by laws either of matter or of mind. A power interrupting the fixed laws which govern their movement. A supernatural power. Haven't you all experienced that supernatural power in our life? We all have. And we know God ordinarily affects his purpose through the agency of second causes. Now, the purpose of miracles are seals of a divine mission. And all the writers in the scriptures appealed to them as proofs that they were messages from God. And our Lord also, he appealed to miracles as a conclusive proof of his divine mission. And we talked about that in some of our Bible studies here of late. And where miracles are, there certainly God is. And man, therefore, who works a miracle often affords thereby clear proof that he comes with the authority of God. There's many times God worked through men to, with miracles. But that's because of the authority of God. And their, their credentials, that that's God's messenger. I'm thankful for men out there that, that are faith healers or had miracles work in their ministry. Now in the Bible, there's 128 recorded miracles total. As an example, the creation, of course, is one. The flood is one. The, the supernatural conception of Isaac due to elderly parents of Abraham and Sarah. The ten plagues of Egypt, of course, are several miracles in the Bible. In, in Exodus, there are several miracles, such as the burning bush, the Red Sea, the Jordan River divided. After that, you have miracles in Israel through Balaam's donkey talking and Samson's supernatural strength and, and the idol Dagon being knocked over by God. Ravens de delivering food to Elijah. A widow's oil multiplied due to Elisha's prayers. And axe head made to float in the River Jordan. And, of course, uh, the protection that Jonah and Daniel had from God, from whales and lions. Jesus, of course, had many miracles. Healing the blind, raising the dead, like Lazarus, as we spoke about. And taking money out of fish's mouths. And casting devils out of people. And then, of course, his disciples, they definitely weren't left out either. You know, Peter had miraculous working power by people being healed in his, by his shadow. The miracles in and of themselves don't just come from ancient stories. Even secular mythology can sometimes talk miracles that happened read some of the Greek mythology. It's not a miracle from God. 
somehow it happened. Maybe it was from God, they just didn't give him the credit. But the bottom line is, everyday miracles are around us every day. If only our eyes are open to see them. The biggest one of all is God's grace. Because God's grace surrounds us all. And sometimes we see it through everyday miracles that take our breath away. And the grace of God can be a shelter from the tumult of the world and a comforting reminder that grace is a free gift so given graciously to every one of us. That is the greatest miracle of all, is God's grace. We suffer it every day. It's unmerited favor that we have. But I'm thankful for all the other miracles I've seen too. God's definitely blessed me. He's worked miracles in my life. All of you know I'm the oldest of 15 children. And you all have seen my youngest sister too. And God's worked miracles in each and every one of our lives. And the fact that we're all living for him and loving him is the greatest miracle of all. And I love him dearly for that. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Aren't you glad you serve a God of miracles tonight? Well, aren't you glad you serve a God who's able to do anything and everything? That you don't have to depend on anybody else, that God alone is enough. He can take anything that you have to offer and make it into something beautiful. He can take the brokenness and make it whole. He can make beauty out of ashes. He can make gardens out of graves. I'm so glad I serve a God like we do tonight. Amen. Will I search the world? But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love and there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing nothing is better than you you believe that tonight oh there's nothing better than you no there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing nothing is better than you no i'm not afraid to show you my weakness my failures and flaws lord you've seen them all and you still call me friend because the god of the mountain is the God of the valley and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing better than you know there's nothing nothing is better than you oh no Lord, there's nothing better than you know there's nothing better than you know there's nothing nothing is better than you 
show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place where your mercy and grace won't find me again. There's nothing better than you. No, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, no, Lord, there's nothing better than you. No, there's nothing better than you. No, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. Shameful to glory, you're the only one who can. You turn mourning to dancing, you give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory, you're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens, you turn dungeons into armies. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Oh, there's nothing better than you. No, there's nothing better than you. No, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. No, there's nothing more. No, there's nothing better than you. No, there's nothing. Better than you, oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing, there's nothing. Better than you, no, there's nothing. Better than you, oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you, no, there is nothing better than you. Lord, 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know who He is, the one who can turn your mourning into dancing, who can turn your beauty or your ashes into beauty. Aren't you glad you know who your God is tonight? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Tonight is a night about my story. Tonight is a night where I can tell you about all the wonderful miracles that I've heard and seen. I can tell you about Brother Wathier being raised from the dead as I was growing up. I can tell you about demons being cast out. I can tell you about the the healing of, of the body of bones being wiggling back together. We know the stories experienced in our churches. But growing up, that's all they were. Just stories. Things that happened to somebody else. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, God did great things. But tonight, I want to focus on what God has done for me. Tonight, I want to focus on the miracles and the wonders that I've seen with my eyes, that I've touched with my hands. You see, usually when we come up with messages and scriptures, we have a series of notes that we go through and to make sure we stay on topic and to hit every point. But when it comes to my story, I don't need that. Because there's nothing anybody can say, there's nothing anybody can do, can take away what God has done for me. If I start at the very beginning, the very beginning of my life, I can tell you because it's just a story for me because I don't remember it. My mama would tell you that I almost killed her coming into this world. And that I kept trying as I grew up. But I, myself coming in wasn't a, an easy birth apparently. I don't remember. But what I do remember is being about 12 years old. And God talking with me and dealing with me and, and letting me know that there's more to this life. And there's more to this thing called church than just coming and singing a song and learning a Bible verse. That God was real. And that it was real to me. And that I at some time had to make a choice on whether I was going to serve Him or I wasn't going to. And let me tell you what God did for me because I remember at about 12 years old standing in my kitchen... And I don't even know if you want to call it depression, if you want to call it anxiety. We didn't have those words back then. I just knew that I was afraid. I knew that I didn't like the life that I was living at 12 years old. I knew that I didn't like me, and I didn't like my circumstance. And I knew that I couldn't continue the way I was. And I remember standing in my kitchen with a butcher knife to my arms, ready to make that choice 
And a voice spoke to me. and said, there's another way. There's still another way. And I broke down in tears. And I went to my room. Nobody ever knew what happened. Nobody ever even knew how close it was. Except me. That summer, later, that summer, because this was during the summertime, just probably about a month or so later, we went to youth camp. And I remember going, and it was about, I think it was Thursday night of camp. So you know it's throughout, camp's almost over. And he preached a message. And I went up and prayed. Actually, I stood there in that aisle with my hands in my pockets like this. Not wanting to move. Not wanting to react. Not wanting to do anything. And God was just moving on me. But I was that stubborn 12-year-old boy. This isn't what I need. This isn't what I want. And my Sunday school teacher, Jan Palmer, she's not Palmer anymore, but Jan Palmer leaned over my ear and said, Mike, you need to pray. And my exact response was this. No. Resisting as much as I possibly could. Service continued. Prayer service went on. And I'm talking to God in my mind because my mouth wasn't moving. My voice wasn't being projected. Just in my mind, God, if this is the night, if this is my only chance, tell her to ask me to pray again. And as I stood there pleading with God, in my mind, completely silent. She leaned over my ear again and said, Mike, you need to pray. And she grabbed my wrist, not forcefully, just grabbed it and said, Mike, lift up your hand. And the tears began to flow. And I lifted up my hands and began to speak in a language that I had no control over, that I didn't know. And God filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want you to know the greatest miracle that God ever did in my life was saving that 12-year-old boy from a a life that would have been utterly destructive. But the great thing about God is He didn't stop there. And you know the story. We grow. We learn. We make mistakes. We come back. We repent. We do all those things. And as I became older and, and, and began to work in the ministry at really a, a quite a young age in, in, in probably most people's opinion, God began to show me lots of things. I remember helping with the church. We were a small church. So we didn't have a lot of help. So you used who was there. So I benefited from that greatly. And I remember praying for one of my uncles who had skin cancer. And watching that cancer just dry up. And it was gone. You can't tell me that was not God. You can't tell me that doesn't happen because I saw it happen. I remember we were coming up here for a revival. And we were in a, uh, our 1978 Pontiac Bonneville. It's really good on gas. 
probably gets about, what, about six miles to the gallon, maybe, if you're lucky. And we came up here for church, and back then, church went a little later than maybe today's world. And then after church, I'm sure we went to the hot dog shop. So by the time we were heading home, places were closing down. And we looked at the gas station, and I'm 16, 17 years old, and I'm driving. My mom's in the passenger seat, and I happened to look down at the gas gauge. and went, Mom, we're about out of gas. We were below the quarter. So what is that, the eighth of a tank? And I actually saw that thing dipping down into the red, and I'm going, Mom, we got to stop and get gas. We're not going to make it home. So she's, she's like, all right, and we're driving, and we... We come through, you know, Wellsville, and we come through Stratton. We're like, we're getting close. I said, all right, we're coming up on Toronto. We've got a hill to climb to get home, <laughs> 213 Hill. we got a hill to climb. I'm like, all right, here's the question, Ma. Do we gut off the exit or just try to make it home? That's how close on gas we were. <laughs> and she's like, let's try to get off the exit. We're like, but what if they're not open? Well, if there's not one there, there's at least one down the road. There's two gas stations there. So we got off the exit, pulled into the first one. It's closed. So we're like, all right, there's one down the road just a little bit. So we drove further down the road, and guess what? That one's closed too. And we're looking at each other. I'm like, this isn't happening. We are not making it home with the gas we have in our car. And all I could think to do is pray because if you've heard that term, getting, on, getting home on gas and, or fumes and prayer, that's where we were. I said, we're going to pray. So we prayed, and I'm, I'm driving the car. Mom's just sitting there, and I'm just praying, God, help us. God, help us just get home. That's all we need. We got gas at the house. We could, I just help us get home. And as I'm driving that car, again, this is a 1970 Pontiac Bonneville. This doesn't happen. I'm sitting there watching that gas gauge. I don't even remember the traffic on the road if there was any because my eyes were on that gas gauge the whole way home. It's dipping. It's dipping. And as I began to pray, I actually saw that gas gauge start to rise. And it was filling up my gas tank. By the time we got home, we had a quarter of a tank of gas in our car. I went out the next day. I'm like, that was because we're parked on a hill, right? It has to be. You know how that tank can go. I went out there the next day, and that, that, that tank was at a quarter of a tank. You can't tell me God doesn't take care of his people. I can tell you the story of me driving home one night and falling asleep behind the wheel, and going and knocking out the sign that says 213, which they still haven't put back up yet, by the way. Knocking it out, totaling out my car. And I come home completely unharmed. You can't tell me my God doesn't protect us. You can't tell me my God doesn't do great things. I can tell you the story when I was at college. I was on my way home. Yes, a lot of my things happened with cars because I traveled a lot. On my way home, and I was coming from, from Rio Grande or Rio Grande, and we were going up to where my parents were camping, and I, I think they were up in Warren at the time. So I'm going up, I think I-77 if I remember right, and I actually commented to myself, you know how in the Bible it says, Self, your car's running pretty good today because that wasn't a common experience for us in our cars. So it was, it was unusual. Hey, I got good pep in this thing. It's running good. We're, gonna, we're making good time. We're going great. And I'm passing a car on I-77. I hear, boom, and then smoke. And I went, that's not good. 
And actually, it was such a big explosion, if you will, I actually ditched it into the median. Hit the brakes, it went right into the median, jumped out of the car, popped the hood, there's flames and there's smoke everywhere. Ended up throwing a rod right through the side of the motor, oil caught on fire, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was done. And this was back B.C., so before cell phones. So I'm out in the middle of nowhere. It's out around New Cumberstown area, so you know that stretch of highway. There is not much around. So I'm standing in literally the middle of a four-lane highway with my car, a college kid who has the only money I had in there were some wrapped-up quarters I had left over from laundry. That was it, because I'm going home, which means I had no more money. I had enough to get there, and that's it. And I'm standing in the middle of the road, and I'm looking around going, I've got to do something. So I crossed the highway, climbed the fence, the, the highway fence, went down through the ditch, and there was this little subdivision, and I walked down this road. And I'm telling you, I don't know to this day why I did it other than it was the hand of God that I passed three houses until I went to this last house on the road. Think about that. I'm walking. Why in the world would you not stop at the first house? I'm going to tell you why. When I walked into this last house, I knocked on the door, and I just let them know what was going on. and said, hey, my car broke down. I'm out on the highway. I need to call a tow truck or something. Can you help me? And the lady that was standing there said, hey, you know what? We have a friend that has a tow truck business that's right down the road. Let me give you his number. So anybody else would have looked up the yellow pages. This person said, I have a friend who has a, owns a tow truck. So I, I, they call them for me because, again, I don't have a cell phone. We call them, and it happens to be the place is closed. But for some reason, they had a call, and they happened to still be there. Coincidences are wonderful when you get with God, isn't it? And he answers the phone, and he says, yeah, I'll come out and get you. And I'm like, how much is the tow? They're like, it's $50. I don't have $50. I had nothing. I had about $12 to my name, and that's what I had. I went, all right, come and get the car. (laughs) Thinking, somewhere, I hope he doesn't ask for the money up front, because I'm just going to give him whatever I have, and that's what it's going to be. Take me, and my dad will come and get the rest of it when he gets here, because I'm a hoping he'll come and pick me up. So the guy who's not supposed to be there comes and gets my car and says, yeah, we'll take care of everything when you get back to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the shop. So he pulls me back to the shop, and the owner happens to still be there. And we get on the phone, I'm like, and I'm, I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, Dad, this is going to be at least a $50 bill, if not 100 because the car can't, I mean, we don't know where this thing's got to get towed to. And we start talking. He's like, all right, I'm going to be on my way. It takes my dad six hours to get here to where we were going. Lots of long turns, wrong turns, and who knows what else. Why it took him six hours, I still don't understand to this day because Ohio is not that big. Corner to corner, you're not going six hours, all right? <laughs> it takes him six hours to get there, and I'm sitting here with this, with this uh, tow truck owner guy, and he comes in and he goes, hey, uh, your dad talked to me. He's going to come. We're going to take care of everything when he gets here. I know I'm going, to, I'm going way over my time here. He comes, he goes, hey, where are you going to? I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for him. There's nothing else I can do. So my plan is to just sit there, wait. When he gets here, he gets here. The guy takes me to his house, which happens to be just about a block away. 
fixes me dinner. I have dinner with his family. I sit there with him until my dad comes. Long story short, he ends up not charging us for the tow. He ends up buying the car from us for more than we bought the car. A lot, hang on, hung on to it for another like week and a half just so we could go and unload it because I had everything I owned in the car. I'm telling you, God delivers and takes care of his people. God is good. Those are just the things God has done for me in my life of the natural, you know, things to provide. I'm telling you, there's been times where I didn't know what I was going to do. And God made a way where there seemed to be no way. But again, that's not where God stops. You see, we have four now beautiful children. And each one of them, if you listen to the doctor the right way, probably shouldn't have been here. Ethan was too big to be born. Jonah didn't have the right blood type, but we caught it at the very end, so we had to rush him. When we started getting to Joella, we, most of you know the story of the RH factor, and we have that blood issue going on that basically makes the baby anemic. And when Joella was being born, or was in the process of being made by her mother in the oven, if you will, we would have to go to the high-risk doctor every single week. One week was at the regular doctor, the next week at the high-risk, and back and forth. And every week, we had to prepare ourselves. Was this going to be the, the, uh, the appointment that we didn't hear the heartbeat? Was this going to be the appointment that they're going to tell us the brain didn't form? Was this going to be the appointment that they're going to tell us that the baby just didn't make it. And I remember being here one night and we had a, a preacher in who was doing a healing and a miracle service. And he called us out and I, I, I'll be very honest, he did not know our situation. And he called us out and he, and he began to pray for us. And the words he used was, I don't, I, I don't remember the initial part, but he, he said something to the effect of, I don't know what the problem is, but God is going to make it stop. And we felt good. We're like, all right, great, we got prayed for, like we do every service. And we went back to the doctor, and those levels that they watch kept raising. Well, all right. We kept trusting God. We kept believing. We kept praying. Went back the next time, the levels kept raising. And they kept raising until... They got to a level because what it was is they were raising too fast. And they're like, at the current projection, they're going to go up way too high and your baby's going to have severe anemia and it's, it's going to have brain damage and it's not going to, or it's not going to survive at all. That was the prognosis. And it started raising and raising and raising and it got to a level that was perfectly normal. And then the next appointment we went to, it was still there. And then the next appointment, the levels didn't change. And then the next appointment, the levels remained the same. The levels went up to exactly perfect normal and stopped. You can't tell me that's not a miracle. 
In fact, the doctor that we had, who's very experienced, who's seen this time and time again, looked at us and said, there was a problem in the blood test. There must have been a mix-up in the laboratory. I I want to see cord blood. I want to see this test and that test because what just happened with this little baby doesn't happen. But I looked at him and said, I know what happened. I know what God who said, it's going to stop. Hallelujah. And we thought we were done. We thought that was it. We made it through the valley. But God said, I still got one more for you. And we were expecting Everly. From the very beginning, we knew we were high risk. Not only because of our age, but because of the same situation that we had with, with Joella. And again, we had to go through the process of the high-risk doctors. And again, every week we had to go wondering if this was the week we were going to see something that we didn't like. And again, the doctors said, it's not good. Every week we'd go in and they would do the, what they call the Dopplers and they would look at them and they would be super high and then super low and super high and then they couldn't get a read on it. And they said, well, we'll just pick the low one because we think that's it. And they went, no, but you see all these high ones. And we would go through and, I mean, we would spend hours and hours in a sonographer's office just so they could try to get a reading to figure out what's going on until they finally decided we've got to do what they call a pubs procedure, an invasive procedure, where they literally had to take a needle and shove it in through the abdomen of Christy to get fetal blood from Everly while she was still in the womb. Not a pleasant procedure at all. But here's what God does. Is they take the blood from the mom... And they realize this is bad. They take the blood from the dad and they realize these things aren't compatible. And they start looking at the umbilical cord and say, they have, it, it is just not right. It's not good. The baby's going to, to have problems. And they kept monitoring things. So much to the fact that they decided to take her early. And when she was born, on that delivery day, They had all the teams ready. If you've been in these rooms, you know what I'm talking about. It's not just a quiet one person there playing catch. Sometimes it can be, but in our case, they had the delivery team. They had the uh, the advanced team. I'm not even sure. Bonnie would probably tell you what they're called. But they had the advanced team ready to swift the baby out of there because they were expecting the complications to be there. And as the baby was delivered, she came out. And all the doctors and nurses said the exact same thing. She's perfect. They took her over to the bassinet to clean her up. And they said, she's perfect. Later on, they came and took the blood to to see just how anemic she would be. And they said, she's perfect. The doctor that came in later to do the first pediatrician visit looked at her and said, I looked at your records. I looked at the prognosis. I looked at all the reports. And I don't understand it. 
but she's perfect. Down to the shape of her head, she's perfect. You see, when God heals, He heals completely. When God heals, He does it fully. You see, what God did when He says it's going to stop, He didn't make it just stop at Joella. But the, what the doctor described it is he said that the blood that traveled through that umbilical cord from Christy came up and nourished the baby, but all the bad, all the things that would cause her problems literally stopped where, where Everly began. I want you to know God is a miracle-working God. God is a, a healing God. God is a great God. If you don't believe my story, I ask you to get a story of your own. Because what He's done for me, He can do for you. What He's done before, He's going to do it again. Aren't you glad you know who our God is tonight? You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. You've been trying Church, there's a better life. There's a better life. Cause if you got pain, he's a pain taker. And if you feel lost, he's a way maker. Or if you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. You got change. A chain breaker. We all search for the light of day in the dead of night. And we all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. And we've all run for things we know it just ain't right. You know what? There's a better life. There's a better life. He's a pain taker, and if you feel lost, he's a way maker. What if you need freedom or saving? He's a prison shaking savior. You got change. He's a chain breaker. Oh, if you believe it, if you receive it. I want to ask you right now, just 
change. He's a change breaker. I don't care what your prison is right now. Can you feel him shaking that? You want out? I dare somebody to lift their voice right now and praise him. You want to come out? All you got to do is lift those hands, shake off those heavy bands, and believe that God's able. Come on, let's love him right now. those hands and praise Him. Anybody here believe it? Anybody in here receive it? Oh, testify right now. Love the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come around, tell somebody I believe it. You can be seated. Summer 1991, in the month of August, a 16-year-old boy by the name of Jason Corsi gave in and accepted his call to preach. And after that first sermon, that just blew my mind, the things that happened, I went home knowing I got to do some praying because <laughs> this is bigger than what I thought it was going to be. So, I would stay up almost, almost every night just praying, reading my Bible, saying, God, I don't know why you call such a wet-behind-the-ear punk kid to preach, but I need help. I need to figure out why and what I'm supposed to do with this. And on one particular night, I was praying, and it was between 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning, and the Lord spoke to me the name of a couple. And he said, go see them right now. So I'm feeling good. I'm having good prayer. I'm not very speculative about it. I'm like, well, I don't have my license yet. I can't drive. I need to go wake up my mother and tell her you're going to drive me to so-and-so's house. And the Lord speaks to me and says, um, no. Take off walking right now. So the only time in my teenage life that I snuck out of home was on this very night. And I don't normally share this testimony with a lot of people. I didn't share it a lot when we evangelized all those years. 
I remember opening up the window, pitch black, crawling out the window, shutting it, nobody knowing I was going, and I start huffing it across town. I lived in Dawson Springs, Kentucky. Some of you might remember that name. It got wiped off the map by a tornado right before Christmas. And uh, I lived on one end of the town, and this couple that God placed on my heart to go see at that very moment lived on the other side on the outskirts headed to a coal mine. So I'm just walking across town. It's midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. I'm praying about ministry. I'm really not even thinking about what I'm doing at that moment. It really isn't setting in. I'm just having a good time. No cop come by, because no doubt in that little town, if a cop would have drove by and saw me walking, he'd have pulled over and said, what are you doing, son? Nobody was outside, and I'm just huffing it. It took me between an hour to an hour and a half to get to this house. I'm sweaty. And I'm walking, and, and I see their driveway. I'm coming up on it. It's going to go this way, and there's a lot of shrubs, high shrubs. And when I get to those shrubs, I just dropped. And I'm like, what in the world am I doing? It's after 2 a.m., and I'm getting ready to go knock on these people's door. I'm nuts. I can't do this. And I'm getting ready to leave, but when I get ready to leave, it's like I can feel something grab me and set me right back down. And I'm like, no, mm-mm. I can't do this. God, I can't. I can't do this. Go knock on that door. Uh Uh-uh. I can't. I remember being to the point where my hands were shaking. I'm like, they're going to kill me. I'm going to get them out of bed. God, this isn't isn't right. And it just, go knock on that door. You want to see miracles? You got to do the legwork. Go knock on that door. I remember standing up. I'm literally shaking, quivering. And I stepped out in the driveway, long gravel drive. And when I stepped out, half the lights were on. So I'm thinking, maybe somebody's awake. I'm walking down that long driveway, and I mean, I'm shaking. And they didn't use the front door. I'd been to their home before. The front door, you didn't use. They had furniture in front of it. So I'm walking around the back. It was like a modular home. And when I get to the back... The wife has the door open with her head down. Her hair dangling. And she don't say nothing. She just stands there. This is creepy. I'm walking up. I'm getting ready to talk, but something just deals with me. Shut up. I walk into the house, and she keeps her head down. I walk into a house where the furniture's flipped over, glasses broken. There'd been a fight. Her husband was a preacher, but he beat her up before he went to work. And when I walked in that living room, she sat down and she pulled her hair back and there's scratches and bruises on the side of her face. I didn't say a word. She said, Jason, I'm not going to call his name. They're both dead now. She said, Jason, he beat me before he went to work. He worked third shift in the mines. He knocked me out in the floor. She said, when I came to, I was yelling at God, why did you let this happen? Why don't you help me? He's a... 
said, I was crying and I was ready to quit. He said, but when I went to get up out of the floor, that's how God works. When I went to get up out of the floor, I look out my window and I see you walking down my driveway. And she said, I knew right then and there, God, you sent him to me. And she said, I walked to my door and just opened it and waited on you to come. She said, now, Jason, tell me, did God send you here? I said, yes. What do you have to tell me? And I stood there and I thought, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to say? And God just said, pray for her. I said, Charlotte, I don't know what to tell you, but we're going to pray. I'm 16 years old. I'm trying to wrap my brain around why I'm even preaching. I lay my hand on this preacher's wife whose preacher husband just beat her. And I said a prayer. And I listened to her speak in tongues and glorify God. And then I walked out that door and I hiked myself back home, crawled back through that window and went to bed and thought to myself, you know what, God? You knew exactly what was going on because you knew how much time it would take me to walk there. And then you knew doubt would set in and I would plant my rear end on the ground and say, no, God, I ain't doing it. No, God, I ain't doing it. You made sure that that goofball was gone before I showed up and you knew exactly when that lady was going to raise her head up and look out that window. Don't you tell me he doesn't care don't you tell me he doesn't know you got change he's a chain breaker you got pain he's a healer you sitting in a cell right now he is shaking those bars and saying if you'll just open up your heart i'll get you out of here i got out paul i got out silas you can come out too i was only gonna tell that i'm gonna tell one more and i'm out of the way we started our first church. I was 18. Can you imagine having a pastor who's 18 years old? I told my wife, ain't nobody going to come. You know who came? Teenagers. I pastored teenagers for years. Hard to pay the bills with teenagers. There was an old house. Old house. They still went to the river and did their laundry on a washboard up on this hill. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that is your first family. So I told the church, all the teenagers said, we're going to that house Saturday. Our whole outreach is that house. And we showed up. Oh, these people did not look good. They did not smell good. They were the family that time forgot in Kentucky. And we went there every Saturday. And finally she showed up with all her kids. They took up a whole pew. And little did I know that if she didn't like what I preached, she turned one ear around. That was deaf. And she got to be friends with my mother. My mother was a little bit more then than what she is now. She got to be friends with my mother. And she let my mother know. I used to go down to the Lighthouse Church and sit under Brother Jimmy Russell. I had the Holy Ghost. I'm a backslider. And she said, sometimes your son preaches things that gets to me and I turn him a deaf ear. And I thought to myself, that ain't happening no more. I was 18 years old, dumb, stupid, but full of faith. And when I saw that ear get turned to me one night, the Holy Ghost was moving. We all went back there and started praying for her. God opened that deaf ear and refilled her with the Holy Ghost. She went home and told her husband, I am not doing this anymore because they were big into gambling. Cockfighting was an industry for them. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. He wrote, he, could, he didn't have much of an education and he wrote me a note. 
His son come in. His son was Larry the Cable Guy before there ever was a Larry the Cable Guy. His son came in and said, Hey, Bert Corsi, uh, my dad wrote you a letter. I looked at that letter. I couldn't read it for the light. I said, Translate it. Meet me outside. You're dead. I walked outside. He had a gun hanging out the window saying, Come on out, preacher. Come on. I shut the door and said, End of service. No phones. We had no water. You want to do your business? You hung your ear in off a bluff. We offered toilet paper. We were out right across from a cemetery. They could have shot me and buried me in one night. We had us a Holy Ghost teardown. We were there for three or four hours. I told my wife, I said, keep playing the music. If I don't come back, don't worry about it. What do you mean? Don't worry about it. I knew if I told her, she wouldn't let me go. I walked outside. He had a full bottle of something called turkey. When the service was over, he was waving that empty bottle. He done drunk himself into a stupor and had that rifle out the window. Come on, preacher! He didn't like it that his wife got the Holy Ghost and now all of his boys wanted to be one God apostolic preachers. He didn't like it because it hurt his gambling. He didn't like it because they didn't want to do the cockfighting anymore. Chickens. He didn't like that. I looked at him across the road and I said, Well, Lord, either you want me to pastor this church... Or you don't. And I started walking straight toward him. He had that gun aimed at me. Come on! Come on! And I just walked straight toward him. I prayed, God, God, if he shoots me, let it be quick. I don't want to lay here and suffer. When I got on that road, he threw that truck in gear, did a donut around a tombstone, and took off. He then wrote me another note apologizing. He never came to church, but he became my repairman. If I ever need anything done in that church, he'd repair it. That's what happens when you stand up to the devil. That's what happens when you stand up to a tyrant. That's what happens when you tell this world, greater is he that is in me. Don't you run anymore. Don't you hide anymore. I don't care what your husband said. I don't care what your wife said. Think about what Jesus said. I don't care what the doctor said. Think about what Jesus said. You got pain. I got a healer. Let's lift those hands and praise him right now.
Hallelujah, Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's just praise Him for what He's done. Let's just thank Him for what He's done. Praise the Lord. Ah, he's a God that provides. Praise. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Praise. You may be seated. Amen. God is a healer. God is a healer in my life. I probably don't tell it enough. But when I was born, I was asthmatic. My parents had to put me on special medicine, and I had to have a special bed and a special furnace in our house. Praise God, because I was very asthmatic. God took me, they took me to a, a, a Holy Ghost-filled man and prayed for me. And as a child, I don't remember too much of my childhood, but I do remember the night that that man laid his hands on me and prayed for me and healed me. And from that day on, I was instantly healed of asthma. And I've never had a problem with my lungs. I can sing. I can work. I can do all kinds of things. God has been a healer in my life. There's hardly any time period. I can remember one night, my wife and I, Justin, amen, was... Uh, very sick. He had gotten so sick that it had got into his system. And one night we went downstairs in the house next door. I, um, I went over and he was not doing well at all. I went over and I picked up the phone, the phone between the church and the house there. And I said, um, we need an ambulance and, and it's not real emergency, but if you can just send an, an ambulance, it would be great. And so um, I hung the phone up, turned around, and looked, and Justin was completely out with his eyes in the back of his head. We felt no breathing, no nothing, no response. I grabbed Justin off of her, and I hollered, Jesus. And the moment I hollered, Jesus, breath came back into his lungs, he came to again, and he began to see and look. I handed her Justin, and I went back to the phone. And I picked up the phone, and I said, you got to come now. I'll never forget the day, praise the Lord, that I walked down those long steps of that front of that house, looked down at 4 in the morning, saw the ambulance coming around the corner. I wanted to reach up there and grab the bumper and pull it up. When they got there, they ran in, they looked at Justin, and they said, Oh, my Lord, get the paddles. And they shocked him again. My wife went on with them to the hospital. I got in the car. I walked up to the hospital. They walked out of the hospital. They looked at me, and they said, Are you Mr. White? Just as solemn as could be. I knew when they took him, he was not breathing. I said, Yes. And they said, We believe your boy is going to be okay. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Financial. I've seen God do financial things. When my wife and I started this church, praise the Lord, it was just me and her. And I was starting my business. We probably make, 
amen, in two or three days what we made almost in a month before. I mean, we did hardly make anything. But we tried to open the church doors, and Sister Sandy was here, amen, and uh, we would try to heat the place, praise God. And, and um, the first winter, we got a $500 gas bill. And I said to Sister Sandy, I said, I don't know how we're going to pay this. And she said, I don't know how we're going to pay it either. And we would come, my wife and I would come and have church, and it was kind of cute because she would play the piano, and we would sing, and my two kids would sit on the front pew, and uh, George would have to go to the bathroom, Christy Kay would have to take him, and the congregation was gone. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) You know what that's like. Praise the Lord. But we just kept doing it. And so one Sunday morning, a military man came in in military clothes. And uh, he, we passed the offering plate around. My kids would take the offering plate around. And he put an envelope in the offering. And he uh, said to me, he said, I travel the country and I work for the government. And he said, I always pay my tithes wherever I'm at. And so we got that envelope and we opened it up and it was $500. Do you remember that, Sister Sandy? $500. I remember one time in Tyler, Texas, the Lord, we was Bible college. The Lord said to me, he said, I want you to give 200 admissions or 300 admissions. It was an amount. And I said, Lord, I don't know where that money is going to come from. And he said, promise it. And so I promised it. It just so happened that weekend, uh, brother and sister Smith said to Christy, we'll give you some money so that you can afford to come up and see us. So we went up there to see him. Praise the Lord. And while we were up there, someone in that service came up and gave me an amount. I couldn't remember the totals, but they gave me the amount. And I handed it to Christy. I said, we're going to put this on the missionary giving. And uh, Brother Wiggins said, would you preach tonight? And I said, yes, I'll preach tonight. And so I preached, and he gave me an envelope with a check in it. And on the way home, I said to my wife, I said, put them two together and we'll add whatever it takes to make that, that promise that we promised the missionary. She opened that check up, and both of those givings was the exact amount of what we said we were going to give to the missionary. I could go on for hours and hours and hours of what the Lord has done, but I will say this, praise God, some time ago, amen, Somebody called me and was struggling with their power for one of their machines. And I said to them, I said, I'll come and I'll fix it. So I got to the place and I shut the electric off. Amen. And I began to, I wired all this up. And this 220 and it was in a damp basement and it was wet. And I wired all that up and I got it all wired up and got it all together turned the machine, or went over and flipped the breaker back on and flipped the machine on and it didn't work. And I thought, what is the problem? And I went back and I flipped the breaker off and the machine started to run. Somebody had took a breaker that did not belong in that box, put it in that box backwards and wired it up. And when you flipped all the breakers off, you thought all of them was off. Here all that time, and I'm telling you, praise God, I was 
handling that 220 wire while it was live all that time and never killed me. I'm telling you, I could take you and take you and take you with things that God has done. Praise the Lord. These, these last two winners, I've had people that have called me because winners is toughest on us. I've had people who have accidentally sent me. I had one company accidentally send me $500 more in February than what they were supposed to send me. And then they said, well, just put it on our account. In February, I could use some extra money. I'm telling you, the Lord is good. And I know there's some of you out there tonight that is busting to tell your testimonies. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to, to do that tonight. But I'm telling you, God has taken care of us. God has watched over us. We've talked about physical healings. We've talked about spiritual healings. One of the greatest things that God has done in my life is saved my soul. We've talked about uh, protection. We've talked about God providing. There are stories over and over and over again of how God has provided. I have watched it. I have seen it. In my own life, praise God, I've seen it in the church life. God is good, isn't he? God is good. Let us sing one more song. Praise God. Praise God. Let's all stand and praise him. Hallelujah, Lord. Come on, let's all stand and praise him tonight. Go ahead. If y'all want to come down around the altar and worship, that would be great. Come on. If you want to come down the, around the altar and worship, that would be great. Come on. Break every chain. Yes. Hallelujah. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Sing it tonight. Come on. Power in the name of 
that tonight? There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. 